Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, interests, and even how open they are to new opportunities. For $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash fool. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. It's Thursday, July 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Troy Springer and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Maria Gallagher. Thanks Hello. for being here. Thanks yeah, for having of course. us. We've got Spotify. We've got a couple of stocks on our radar, but our lead story today, and when I think about it, it's probably going to be the lead story on Motley Fool Money this weekend. It is, of course, Facebook. Uh, wow. Second quarter profits came in slightly higher than Wall Street was expecting. And Troy, Wall Street could not have cared less about the profits because Facebook's CFO on the conference call painted an incredibly clear picture of revenue for Facebook, and it is going down. Right, about high single digits uh, going down about eight nine percent. Um, but to put this in perspective, Facebook was down about four Twitters after hours yesterday, falling <laughs> about twenty uh, percent. Um, one thing I'd say about the the revenue growth is that eight or nine percent may sound a lot for a normal company. But uh, this is a company that grows revenue year over year at around 40 to 50 percent um, every year. So that may not sound as scary as it sounds, but uh, the, the main problem with their revenue growth is they're unsure about how to monetize the new stories business. Um, and I think Snapchat has kind of been in a similar boat trying to monetize, figure out a way to monetize stories, Instagram, I think their stories have been a huge success. Uh, because of that, Facebook tried to take the stories over to the Facebook platform as well as the WhatsApp platform. But on the conference call, when uh, the analyst asked Sheryl Sandberg about monetization, about um, these stories moving forward, she basically said, you know, we don't really know right now. And that's why we were revising, revising guidance down. Well, so there's, yes, there's that. But, uh, and let's be clear, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg told us this was coming. I mean, we've known Maria that you know he's been very clear about the fact. Like, look, we're going to be spending more money on security. We're we're going to be spending more, you know, on not just technology but human. We're going to be hiring more on security. But again, when you've got the CFO saying, "Okay, look, uh, revenue," as you said, Troy, high single digits, lower than it was the previous quarter, and this is going to happen again next quarter. We're going to take another step down in high single digits, and the quarter after that. I think, though, that it's a strategic move for their future. And I think, well, on the conference call, he was talking about their investment in people and um, AI and how that's going to increase security and how they're going to, they've created this ad portfolio of all of the ads they have and who, play, who pays for them. And so I think their increased transparency in their ads is a really is what's costing them a lot of money, and their AI in that is costing them a lot of money. But I think to regain their name um, and the trust of the people who use Facebook, this is a strategic choice for them for the future. And I think that's really really smart. Right. I don't think Mark Zuckerberg has really ever cared about what analysts thought in the short term. He actually sounded very foolish on the conference call saying that we run this company for the long term and not for next quarter. And he opened up the calls saying that this was a solid quarter for Facebook. Uh, one thing I might add can about I, Can I just say that, that um, pretty much every investor today disagrees with that. Like I, I, I <laughs> right. agree with you. Right. He is very focused on the long term. 
the stock's down about 18% today. Right. But what I <laughs> yeah. will say about the stock, since the Cambridge Analytica scandal, the stock's been up 40%. Um, so, this 20% drawdown doesn't look as bad in context, knowing that Facebook's been up 40% since then. So, I think a lot of times, as investors, we like to make a big deal out about big one-day drops, because it's a very visible number to look at. But the grand scheme of things, Facebook's been doing well. And I think that they're a great platform with 2.2 billion users. And uh, you know, I think it's uh, a safe investment going forward. Yeah, I, I agree. And I also archive was the word I was looking for. It's an archive go. of their ads. Um, but I also think something to note that nobody asked about that I thought was interesting is that their average price for ads is up 17%. And I think with this deceleration, I wonder if they're going to start charging more for ads. And I think with their rhetoric around being helpful with small businesses, if this is going to be something that drives away small businesses because they just can't afford to have ads on Facebook anymore like they used to. So, I thought that was an interesting statistic to bring up that uh, no one asked about in the questions part of the conference call, but I thought was really interesting. It will be interesting to see, um, you know, as you broaden the picture here and you think about just digital advertising dollars in general. Um, if in fact they are not going to be flowing as readily towards Facebook, who stands to benefit from that? And we've seen, just if you look at the stock performance of Twitter over the past year, that's worked out really well. I also feel like if Snap is ever going to do anything, right now is the time. Like if Snap yeah. can't really make their bones in the next six months off of what is happening with Facebook right now, then maybe it's time to pack up and go home. Yeah, I mean, I'd push back on that statement a little bit. Um, you know, a lot of people have said that Facebook's dip in revenue is Snapchat and Twitter's um, space to gain. But I mean, I'd argue that Facebook and Instagram specifically is just such a powerful platform that I think Instagram is continuously leading Snapchat and out innovating Snapchat and especially Twitter. Their new Instagram TV, I think, is going to be more revolutionary uh, than the Instagram stories. And uh, I mean, video is a huge, huge, huge way that uh, I think Facebook is going to continue to monetize their platform, both on Instagram and on Facebook. Let's move on to Spotify. Second quarter revenue for Spotify came in 26% higher than a year ago. That's good, Maria. Um, if you're looking at actual like profitable dollars, Keep looking because they're <laughs> they're they're losing. They're doing a couple of things right, probably. Don't you think? I mean, they're growing revenue, they're growing subscribers, but uh, anyone who's looking at Spotify and looking for profits, they're they're not going to find any. Yeah, I mean, I think. They are not profitable. They've never been profitable. Um, I think it's important to note that their monthly average users is up 30%. Their premium subscribers is up 40%. But like you said, they they haven't been profitable. And I think that that draws more questions about the industry and less about the company. It's a strong company, but the music industry, the streaming service industry, is so young. And also, it's they're paying so much in royalties, like Spotify only gets 30% of the money, and then 70% goes back to the labels for royalty. So I think that just begs the question of how profitable is this industry, less of the question of how profitable is Spotify. So the fact that shares of Spotify are up like three, four percent today, I mean, where, where do you think that optimism is coming from? Is it just sort of the growth, the, the feeling that, well, look, they are growing their paid subscribers, they are. Boosting their overall revenue, so you know at some point the profits are going to come. 
You know, the market's really paid a big premium to companies who command a lot of data. Um, and that's what Spotify has. They have a lot of data on the users, what their preferences are, similar to the, Nef the Netflix argument, where Netflix has more data where they can provide a better experience. That's kind of where Spotify is buttering their bread on their Discover Weekly playlist and everything like that. Um, I totally agree with Maria's point that the economics of this business, um, of the music industry in general, is not good, and it's never historically been good. Um, and I think it's, it's a not hard for the artists. Historically, the music business not great for not, the artists. Not, not great for the artists. <laughs> good for the record labels. Yeah, right. right. And uh, I think it's a totally different industry than than video in the sense that um, Spotify has to play a, pay a royalties every time someone plays a song. So that's a recurring cost that they're always going to have to say. So there's decreasing returns to scale. Where in a video business, Netflix can pay a whole bunch of money up front, and they don't care how many times people watch the video. They want people to watch the video more. Um, so I think it just makes it really tough for Spotify. And at the valuation that they're at, you know, it's it's a little speculative. Yeah, I agree. And also to build on that, like you said, the it's. The music industry has been profitable for labels, and so I don't know if you have heard the myth that Spotify is going to open up a record label, but the um, CFO yesterday said that that's not true and that they're not planning to do that, but I think that is an interesting way to see how that business would grow. If artists have been pretty vocal about disliking their labels, it's not like artists are super loyal to the labels that they are currently under. So I think that would be an interesting thing. Even though Spotify says it's not going to start its own label, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be so certain. Now you're a Spotify. Oh yeah. You you have an account. Do you like a, a premium account? You're paying for that. Yeah, I'm paying. Well, so I started a student premium, and this is um, also I think pretty indicative of how it usually works. Is I started paying for premium as a student, so it was cheaper. But then once my student service was over, I really didn't want to have to listen to ads, because I was so used to not listening to ads. I have all my good playlists that I listen to at the gym that I just pay up for premium. <laughs> it's the best $10 I spend a month. <laughs> well, and just, I mean to go back to something you were saying, Troy, I mean, you, you, you bring up Netflix. I mean, we've talked in this studio before about Video streaming services being in some ways complementary to one another. It's not like buying a car. You can you can have your Hulu account and your Amazon Prime account and your Netflix account. I don't think that's the case with this, right? It's I mean, you, like you're, it's basically pick a music service. If you've got, I mean, you've got Spotify in our house. We've got Pandora. There's no. I, you like, still use Pandora? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You know why? I'll tell Maybe you why. That's an I'll tell you why. Because um, uh, I got it as a Christmas gift for my wife. I was like, oh, I'm going to get a premium account. And Pandora's gift experience was so smooth really? and so easy. And I actually went to Spotify first. And I thought, oh, okay. I'm and they, Spotify did not make it easy for me to buy a gift subscription. Mm. So, to the extent that anyone at Spotify is listening, you, you might want to work on that. Can, can you name your playlists in Pandora? Because I think that's my most excited I get about Spotify is when I come up with a new playlist name. I, you know what? I, I don't actually use the account. I just got it for her. So, well, so I don't know. But you know, hey, that's a you know that's a nice little thing. But again, they're not. Nobody. I guess the larger point is you're not getting a second music streaming service. No, no, no. one. No one's going to be like, well, I've got my Spotify service, but I'm also going to pay for Apple Music. Yeah, there's not much differentiation in the industry, which makes it tough. Yeah, unless you're Jay Z and you have title and you can't get, you <laughs> yep. can't listen to Jay Z anywhere else. But that's that's the argument for Spotify. Spotify gets so much leverage to the point where even smaller artists like working with Spotify, and they can maybe skip the record label. 
that's really the the, the huge opportunity for Spotify. But with diff- not enough differentiation between them and Apple Music, it might be hard for Spotify to gain that much leverage to actually cut out the middleman in the record labels. Uh, quick thanks to LinkedIn. The right hire can make a huge impact on your business, and that's why it's so important to find the right person. And where do you find that person? You find them on LinkedIn. It is more than the world's largest professional network. It's also a better way to find great talent. 70% of the U.S. workforce is already on LinkedIn. Businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates, which is what you want. You like If you're hiring, you just want quality candidates. And you, you know, you post to job boards, and you hope you're going to find the right person. But let's be honest: how often, how often do any of us actually <laughs> check job boards? And for most people, it's an occasional thing. That's one of the great things about LinkedIn. People go to LinkedIn daily to explore job opportunities and to grow professionally. So hurry on over to LinkedIn.com/fool and get fifty dollars off your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com/fool. Terms and conditions apply. So every week on Molly Full Money, we uh, have uh, stocks on our radar, um, and uh, so I wanted to uh, bring that to market Flurry with you. And I'll start with you, Maria. What's what is a stock you've been looking at this summer? All right, I'm going to preface this by saying that consumer package companies haven't had the strongest run recently, and General Mills, who's who I'm going to talk about, isn't an exception. Their da- their stock's down around 27%, and they haven't had sales growth since 2013. But this company's been around since 1928. I think there's a reason behind that. Um, I think it's an opportunity to buy it because it's priced and treated in the market like a company that's in terminal decline. And while they're historically profitable mode of having these this brand recognition uh, is eroding, I don't think that they're burying their head in the sand. I think their plans for future growth are positive. Um, I think they're planning to expand their portfolio. They recently acquired a pet food company. They acquired a health food company. So they're trying to grow into these more premium categories. Uh, they're repositioning their existing brands. And they're driving it their e-commerce growth with a goal of a billion dollars in sales of e-commerce growth by 2020. So I think it's currently undervalued compared to its peers, and I don't think it's as dying as everyone thinks it is. I think it still has strong brand recognition. I think it has really strong plans for the future, and I think it's a company that is going to continue to do well. So I think you may have made a slight understatement. Um, when you said that the industry of, of packaged goods haven't had a great run lately, um, because uh, earlier this year on this podcast, I think I said something along the lines of, "This is now the single worst industry to try and invest oh, into. Yeah. It has replaced like teen apparel <laughs> as just an awful industry to try and invest in." So when you look at General Mills, it sounds like the case is almost entirely about valuation. Yeah. Definitely. I think they're a strong company. I think right now they're not being priced as a strong company. I think you're right, the industry isn't the best, but people always need to eat. And so I don't think the industry's going away. <laughs> right. It's not going to become an industry that nobody eats and like no one's going to stop what investing. Was the, pup, the pet food company they bought was Blue Buffalo? Blue Buffalo. Buffalo. Yeah. yeah $8 that billion. Was, right. Because that was, that was a standalone public company, and uh, there were a few people at this. People uh, spend on uh, their pets. They do. They do. And, and I remember um, uh, there were a few people. I think Jason Moser was one of them. I think Abby Mallon is another who were fans of that company and were were disappointed when it got right. basically. I think it was a smart acquisition. Acquired no kudos to General Mills for the buy. I think it was just one of those like oh, I was I was hoping they were going to say Troy. What have you been looking at? 
Uh, so I've been looking at Stitch Fix. Uh, Stitch Fix is a recent IPO in the past year. It's up 80% um, since it IPO'd. And what Stitch Fix is, it's another one of those data-driven companies that's actually a pure play on disrupting retail. Um, what they do is you go online, you fill out a survey of what your style is for men and women. Uh, they send you a box uh, with you know four to five different clothing items in it. You try them on, choose which ones you want to wear, um, and then which ones you want, you keep. Which ones you don't, you send back. If you buy all of them, you get a discount. Uh, most boxes cost about $200. Um, and what got me really interested in Stitch Fix when I started looking at it um, was that it, like, uh, at around the time of its IPO, it already had better operating margins than a company like Nordstrom. Um, so to me, if Stitch Fix was able to command better margins than a premium company like Nordstrom, uh, then that seemed pretty interesting. They also have a great CEO who was on the Glassdoor Top 100 CEO list, Katrina Lake. Um, one of the one of the forerunner female CEOs out there right now, graduate of Stanford and Harvard, um, and I think this is a company that's really set up for the future. I think the data that they're collecting on style uh, is really really valuable. The fit, the wear, you know, I've gotten three Stitch Fitch boxes. Um, and they're the best clothes I own. <laughs> nice. Have you used them? I've filled out their online survey, and they've picked out some really cute outfits Pull for me. Pull the trigger. Pull the I trigger. But haven't, I haven't pulled the trigger and actually subscribed. So, I, 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 I'm curious if they are... Um, if they've always been for men and women, or they started more for women. And the reason I, I ask that is because I've just seen a lot more ads lately specifically for men. Right. Um, and, and I'm just wondering, in the same way that a few years back, Lululemon identified men as sort of a growth category for them, even though it's like, yeah, we've we've got a few things for men, but we're really looking at, have they? Is that the case with Stitch Fix? I mean, it started as for for women only, um, but since they've IPO, they've been they've been had a men's line for a long time. Um, yeah, I'd say that's definitely a growth area for them. Um, men spend 80 percent of what women do, according to their research, which I think is you know a little bit closer than I thought. And the other thing I'd say, at least for me, is you know, I don't like to shop, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like the fact that, and I don't have great style or, or really care to look in the magazines to figure it out. And if I have someone telling me, you know what, Troy, this is this is what's in style now, and they send it to me, I'm gonna believe them. <laughs> um, so I think growth, it's a big growth area for men. Uh, their their Stitch Fix Men Instagram account has about seventy thousand followers. Uh, they're working with a lot of the the male influencers on Instagram to to spread their brand. But there is probably more competition on the men side between a lot of other box startups that they send you stuff. But um, I mean, I think with the data that Stitch Fix has, it's it's a superior product. All right. Troy Springer, Maria Gallagher. Thanks for being here. Of course, Thanks Chris. It was a blast. Us. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.